we're at the seventh episode of the No Degree Podcast with your host, Janai Iqbal. And today's guest is Dan Frost. Dan has had a successful career in sales, and he's going to share that with you guys today. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. And remember, this show is sponsored by you. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Any contribution helps and is appreciated. This show isn't possible without you. Let's get the show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I have a sales development. I have Dan Frost on the episode of the podcast, so he's going to share a little insight into his story. He's actually gone to college twice and left for two different reasons, but he seems to do be doing pretty well for himself. So I think they, it was sort of a waste of time, but it was a good learning lesson. So tell us a little bit more about yourself, Dan, and what you currently do. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate you having me on. I've had a, a pretty interesting path, I'd say. Right now, I'm with a company called Lead IQ prospecting tool. My role here, very much sales development related. And what's really cool is recently I've taken on some new projects and new focus to work with marketing. Sales and marketing alignment, I think, is a, a big thing. A lot of good stuff happening here at Lead IQ. Give you a little bit more background on me. I've been in inside sales for probably about 12 years now. Before that, I worked in retail and doing small business management. That was after, I'd say, during a, a couple of stints with college. But yeah, kind of salesman by nature, salesman growing up, whether I knew it or not. You know, I always loved candy selling contests and things like that as a kid. Turns out that that would uh, translate well for a career in sales. I just, I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> what were some of your first experience with sales? Like you mentioned the candy. Can you just expand more on that? Yeah. And it's a really fun story for me because it basically was the, the first time that I set a goal and I knew that there was a tangible reward for hitting the goal. For our local soccer league, we were selling candy bars and you sell them for like a buck a, a, buck a piece. My mom at the time was uh, helping out with the, the organization and so, okay, no big deal. And I had participated in fundraisers before with minimal success, you know, you you nag all your family and friends, hey, can you buy these cookies? Can you buy this wrapping paper? Blah, 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 blah. But this time, there was a first place contest of $50, if you can believe it, 50 whole US dollars. And this is, that's a lot of money. And that's really a lot of money. Now, this is probably back in, it must have been like the early 90s. So this is a long, this is a long time ago, right? The year started with the one nine. And I was a kid. The reason for the $50 meaning a lot to me was there was this local restaurant and they had this framed Larry Bird piece, which was just, it was immaculate. It was beautiful. And I wanted it. The thing cost a hundred dollars. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. And every time we would go out to eat, I would look at this thing. I would stare at it. I would talk about basketball with the owner. I love this thing. You know, I I love basketball and I was a fan of the Celtics and and Larry Bird and and all that. So anyways, the owner gets wind of the fundraiser and the contest. And he says, I'll tell you what, if you go out and you sell the most candy bars, I will sell you this Larry Bird piece of memorabilia for $50. All I need is $50. I have means to get $50 now without asking my parents for money. I just have to go out and sell candy bars. This is easy. And I worked my butt off. 
I stood outside the local hardware store, the local pizza places with my uniform on, and I would catch people on their way into a store. And then I would remember the ones that say, hey, catch me on the way back. Like I didn't let anything slide by me. And because my mom was involved, I also had easier access to whenever I sold out of candy to just go get more. Granted, I don't know how many parents would stock. Let's just talk about like a few thousand pounds of candy in their house, right? I just, I worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. I don't even know what second place came in. Like I never looked back to see like where I was. I never asked my mom where I was. It was, how do I just go out and win this contest, right? So I sold something like, it was like eh, maybe like a two week period or something. And I sold whatever it was, 700 candy bars or something. Yeah. I was a moneymaker for that fundraiser, right? Have a kid go out and sell $700 worth of stuff and give them $50 for, for doing it. Genius, genius. I won the contest. So I went and I picked up that framed. It's a beautiful wooden frame. I mean, I'm telling you, this thing was, it was so nice. You have it? Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, granted now with like uh, a family and a kid and all this stuff, it's not front and center like it was when I was younger. But I, I've still got that thing, and I'm working on a little sports memorabilia, a small corner down in the finished basement. Yeah, I still have it, and that thing is worth more to me than some of the other things that I, I've picked up in life. But really, so the lesson was, I didn't know it at the time, but there was goal setting, there was uh, the rewards. It just it taught me a lot about, I mean, my parents instilled uh, a pretty good work ethic in me, so... Uh, that wasn't a big deal, but having drive to to get out there because no kid wanted to stand out in front of a hardware store for six hours and eight hours. I literally, my dad worked at the hardware store. He was one of the managers. I would go in with him with candy bars. I would call my mom from the store. If I needed more candy, she would come and drop it off. And I would have lunch at the pizza place, which is right next door, which then became my second job that I worked all through high school is that pizza place because I, I created a relationship with the owner selling candy out in front of his store. And there was relationship building. There was networking. There was all these things that actually applied to sales. And I had no idea. All right. That's cool. And I've done a few other, like, uh, there was a contest in eighth grade where whatever you sold went to your Washington DC class trip. I made sure my parents didn't pay a dime for my trip because I went out and sold enough candy where it wasn't like, oh, everyone else gets to ride my coattails. And what the really cool part is after I sold enough to pay for my trip, I asked if I could put money towards my friends' accounts. Like, can I choose where the money goes? And they're like, actually, yeah, you can. So I paid for a couple other kids' trips. That's another thing, like drive, right? Like, what's your what's your motivation? I've always wanted to to help people out. I mean, I like to I like to take care of myself first. Let's let's not kid ourselves. But at the same time, I well, I shouldn't say first, because I think when you help others first, you actually help yourself. It created a lot of good things for me, a lot of good feelings, and there was some some benefits to it. So I take all that, I get into high school, and I had an idea that I wanted to be an architect. Okay, so where'd that come from? I think it was like way back in fifth grade, maybe. We were drawing our, our our dream houses in art class. Hey, draw draw your dream house. A buddy of mine was just like, "Oh, I'm not gonna like draw like a pit like an outside picture. I'm gonna lay out what it's gonna look like bird's eye view." I'm like, "Man, that's cool." That one kid said something. 
I drew it out like a floor plan. And the teacher's like, oh, you should be an architect. I held on to that for so long. I get into high school. I take all the tests. They're like, hey, you should go to business school. I'm like, yeah, I'm no. Screw business. I'm going to be an architect. I'm going to be the Frank, the next Frank Lloyd Wright. Turns out I was Frank Lloyd wrong. And I just like to draw. But I very much also like to take on challenges. And like I would have a chip on my shoulder. So when someone's just like, no, you shouldn't do this. You should go do this. I didn't see it as, oh, this guidance counselor is trying to tell me what's best for me. It was just like, no, what do these people know? I'm in high school. I know everything. I'm going to be an architect. And I even like, I went and took an internship class down at a school in Boston. I still liked it a lot. It was very interesting to me. And so I got accepted into to Wentworth Institute of Technology down in Boston. And I love the city. I mean, the architecture, just being in the city, there's there's a buzz about it. And you and I, we even met in Boston. I just, I love Boston. So I went down there and I was having a good time and I was taking some of the classes, some of like the background stuff and understanding all of the pieces of architecture, the construction side of it. And so I'm like, all right, I'm like, well, this is still kind of cool. I was struggling. I, you know, I wasn't really doing well. I didn't care to make school a priority at that time because I knew I wasn't going to be an architect and that I just like to draw. I pretty much played out my third semester, talked with my parents, and I was just like, you know, this isn't really, I don't think I want to do this. And my mom goes, well, if you're not going to do anything in construction management, you're not going to do anything in this field, you need to get your ass home because we're not paying for more school. This stuff is expensive. This is back in the 90s. School is expensive. We're not paying for your school. Like we have to take out loans or you have to take out loans. Don't do this. Come back home, kind of recalibrate. I'm like, all right, it's probably the best thing. As much as I love Boston, you can't spend thousands and thousands of dollars to just be down in Boston and wasting your time with credits and stuff that weren't going to work. And so, all right, that makes sense. So I went home and started taking some, I won't say odd jobs, but I was a bank teller and that was all right. And then the, the hardware store next door was an Ace Hardware store, which was also the Ace Hardware store. It wasn't the same store, but when I sold those candy bars, I was standing in front of an Ace Hardware store in the town I grew up in. And now here's an Ace Hardware store in a different town, uh, still in New Hampshire here. But I was like, man, like the hardware store looks like it's doing really well. I've heard good things about it. My dad was always complimentary of the store and how well they were doing. So I'd heard about it and they were customers of the bank. So I talked with the bookkeeper a little bit as they're making deposits. And so she mentions something to the owner because I was just talking about retail all the time with her. And so the owner actually went through the drive-thru and said, oh, you know, are you Dan? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. Oh, hey, you know, I'm the owner of the hardware store. Why don't you come in Sunday and talk with me? Banks aren't open on Sundays. All right. All right, cool. Didn't think really too much of it. Go in, talk with him. And he was just like, yep, love it. Think you have to come work here. Didn't even really like way back then you did paper applications and all stuff. He's like, I'm not I'm not doing reference checks. I'm not doing any of this stuff, like, I want you to come work for me now. I uh, So I left the bank and I went back to retail and working in department. And, you know, it was just super fun. At that time, I said, you know what? I think I want to I wanna make something of myself, right? There was this pressure to make something of myself and to make something of myself. How do I get there? Well, I can't get there without a degree because of how people perceived uh, those without a degree. It was, I could see that a lot of uh, jobs would say degree required. And it, that was all over the place. 
So I'm like, all right, you know, I should probably go back to school, get my degree. But this time I'm going to do it in probably like marketing or business administration, you know, something like that. So I go back to school. I'm more motivated. It's important to me. I was doing well. I carried like a a 3.8 GPA. I started feeling let down by the school in terms of how they were going to work with me for my schedule, the different things that would be available. I was having a few problems with the school at that point, but I was still doing well. And I was going to school full time. I was working full time doing what I had to. And then some things started to fall apart. There was somehow like a duplicate file or like something had happened where there was some confusion about one of my school loans. Through a series of events, I was just getting agitated with some of the administration and things like that. One of the, and I was a little bit, I'd say slightly more hot-headed when I was, you know, young. I was probably 21 at the time. Yeah, I couldn't have even been 22. I was still full of confidence and maybe a little too much and maybe some conceit. and, And one of the teachers says, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. If you don't like it at this school, you don't need to be here. I said, you know what? That's the best idea I've heard since I came here. Fuck you guys. And I grabbed my backpack, walked out, never went back, never went back. I was in like the third semester there carrying a good GPA, like doing things. And like I had found out that some of the credits wouldn't transfer. I was trying to get over to another school, the Whittemore School of Business at UNH. That was my goal at the time. And I found out that the credits weren't going to transfer from the college I was at, even though I thought that they would. And so so I was just like, yeah, screw this. I'm out of here. And so went back to, you know, working full time, picked up a part time job and just started working, 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 especially for me. I know if I'm making money, I'm not spending money. I was working full time back at the hardware store. I was working part time at the pizza place and I was just grinding away. So I was going all right. And at the time, uh, back when I first went to Wentworth, my parents bought a hardware store, an Ace hardware store. It was way up in like up near Concord, New Hampshire. You know, we didn't think much of like me going up to the store at that point. My parents lived 45 minutes away from the store. And then uh, a few years go by, I'm doing some good stuff with retail. You know, I was picked as one of the national retailers of the quarter for Ace Hardware. And my mom says, all right, hey, you know, I've got an idea. Why don't you come up and help manage the store? Okay, it's cool. So start working with my dad. You know, that's awesome. And I was having a great time. I was going to be there for the rest of my life. I was kind of okay with that in some ways. I mean, I didn't like the limits on on what you could do with just one store. But then I started thinking, hey, what if I get multiple stores and I take less money? Like instead of taking an owner's salary at five stores, what if you just take less than a manager's salary at the five stores? You could probably still do pretty good for yourself. And now back then I was thinking, you know, how can I make a hundred grand a year? So if I have five stores and I pull 20 grand from the five stores, that's a hundred grand. So I started thinking about it like that way. So I was working with dad and going real well. And then I realized how much more goes into operating a business. My mom did the books. My dad did the retail part, but he was up there seven days a week. He had some part-timers working there. It was just, you didn't have a lot of time when all your friends are doing stuff on the weekends and no, 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 I can't do this. No, 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 I can't do this. And you would maybe take a few days off, but retail is not for people that are lazy. It's really not. If you're going to work your hours, I mean, I was committed and it was going well. 
with a buddy from high school. He says, hey, man, why don't you come down and have dinner with me tomorrow night? I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, oh, and if you don't mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a friend. Turns out that friend was the CEO of the software company that my friend was working at. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Right. Super interesting. So I start talking with this guy, Bruce. At that point, I am so focused on how to increase business at the hardware store. And I knew the numbers by heart. I could tell you what we were doing on a year over year basis compared to I had all the numbers and I set goals because I said, all right, I want us to increase business. If six to eight percent is good in the industry, I want to shoot for at least 10 percent. Let's get double digits. And I came up with different things in terms of ways to upsell, ways to cross sell. And here's all this sales stuff coming back. When you're working with a company that's got a large portfolio of products, how well can you integrate that into a customer's needs? And so anyways, so I learned all these things. I put some stuff in place. Hardware store was seeing like 15% year over year increases. And I was talking about the things I was doing. The CEO of the software company after a few months says, all right, and no offense, but I think you're wasting your time. I think you're wasting your talents. You have to come work for us. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I think you have to come work for us. So I sat down with my parents. Dad was not super happy about it. I think he expected me to, to kind of ride it out there and kind of take over for him when he retired and... And that would be that. My mom, on the other hand, who, as we all know, moms tend to run the houses. My mom was a very strong-willed person to begin with. So she says, well, you know, this is a good opportunity. I think this is too good of an opportunity to pass up. How do we set up a transition plan where the store can still succeed and do well and blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. So I've got my mom's blessing. Dad, mm, Maybe not so much. So then I hopped into, I won't even say inside sales, but I jumped into high tech because I was doing channel partnership stuff. That got me around an environment where people were pounding the phones. People were selling. It was much different back then than, than it is today, which is just super interesting to see how business and, and selling and prospecting and all, and all that has evolved. But yeah, so I was in a sales environment. Eventually... I like the idea of overcoming the challenge of picking up the phone, making as many dials as you are supposed to, doing the right things on the phone, booking those demos, running a demo with a systems engineer, closing the deal. I like the idea of making the money. The rewards were there, but there was, it was just almost like someone had said to me like, Hey, you know what? I don't even remember who it was, but someone's just like, yeah, I don't think that's really going to work out. Someone told me that. I'm like, no, this is going to work out. And it's funny because a few years later, the the CEO, he goes, man, the quickest way to get something done is to tell you that it's impossible. Left alone, you're motivated, you've got some drive. He goes, but if someone wants to just kind of ratchet it up a notch, it's to tell you, hey, you're not going to go out and do this. It became true throughout my sales career. I've had bosses tell me that certain deals aren't going to close and I go and close them. And so I eventually got into inside sales and just never looked back. But it's interesting, though, because going back to the college and the no degree thing, it was still a little bit of a, a road bump for me when I would get contacted by recruiters, because I'm sure you're probably familiar. A lot of these companies in the SaaS space, it's a little more relaxed now, which is the, the right mindset. 
so many people. You had to have a bachelor's degree. You had to have a bachelor's degree. Like it wasn't even like preferred. It was required. I got contacted. What would drive me nuts is people would contact me. They'd say, oh, love your background. Love what you're doing. Think you'd be a really good fit. Blah, 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 blah. Let's talk. And so we'd get into a conversation and they'd say, all right, and where'd you graduate from? I'd say Trinity High School. And they're like, no, college. I'm like, exactly, no college. And they're like, oh, a degree is required. I'm like, well, that's interesting. You reached out to me. You didn't do your research. And the fact is the conversation went well. You had the background for it. It's like you could do the job. So it was like, what does it matter? Exactly. But that paradigm didn't really exist as much back in the early 2000s. I kind of get it because people that are able to to get into colleges and good colleges and and succeed and get their diploma, by all means, good for them. I think that shows a number of things that you're able to have some discipline, that you're able to have time management, which turns out is not one of my strongest assets. Who knows? Maybe that's a, a small factor in why I've, I've just never finished off college either. But so I think that and when you're trained in certain things too, I think that can make people more desirable. So I won't say that not everyone has to go to college. I'm not going to tell anyone and everyone to never go to college. For certain things, you have to go to college. But for people that that find themselves in an outgoing personality and they like dealing with people and sales is a, is a very good career. I think there's some some bias towards sales as a career, especially for women in sales. I mean, that's a whole nother topic. I think people need to understand that you can do very well. And now less and less companies are requiring the degree because if you can check off all the other boxes, be a potentially good fit, then you can get your foot in the door and that's all you need. You mentioned like who would make a good salesperson. Who would you say would make a bad salesperson? These are the type of people that you've seen personally sort of not survive in the field. Well, you know, I think it's interesting because I've seen various personalities, types of people succeed in sales. You don't have to necessarily be the star athlete. You don't have to be a rock star. You know, some salespeople, I think there's sometimes it's referred to as like a sales bro culture. When you get a group of salespeople together, it can be interesting to see who's trying to out-talk the other person or over-talk the other person, which is interesting because you should never do that in sales. It's a game of one-upping the other person. But see, even if you don't like dealing with people, right, you could still actually, like, let's say you don't like face-to-face interactions. There are so many remote positions that you can work from home. Are you good on the phone? There's so many different skills that translate. It's tough to really label a bad salesperson. You just have to... I think so many people could do sales. It's not easy, but I think more people could do sales and there's a lot of sales jobs out there. But if you're not confident, if you don't have thick skin, if you don't know how to ride out some of the highs and the lows in life, sales might not be for you. I would say that. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Because I know that when it's when it's good, it's good. But when it rains, it pours. Oh, exactly. And it's like, it's such a tough thing to deal with, especially the first time, like the first time you hit quota, the first time you get a commission check that has a comma, if it happens again, I remember at one point, so early on, very early on in my inside sales career, I had 
a small bit of success. I wasn't by any means crushing it. I, you know, I wasn't even making a hundred grand that first year. Just keep it in perspective. Had a few commissions and I'm like, man, this shit is easy. This money grows on trees. This is, let's go get this money every month. And all of a sudden flop right onto my face. I'm like, Ooh, all right. Then I had to go back and figure out what I was doing wrong or adjust some things, do some things different. But yeah, you have to, you have to ride it out. And sales is very much a, this isn't a knock on any place that I've worked, but sales is one of those jobs where it doesn't matter what's going on in your outside life. You can maybe take some time off, whatever the case might be, but you have to be on your game. You have to be constantly producing. It's a results-oriented game. If you don't deal well with stress, I mean, I used to get heartburn when I was younger all the time. It's some, partly to do with like some of my diet and stuff, but partly to do with some of the stress. So what is your favorite part of sales? Oh, man. I uh, Sales, well, I, I was an account executive at some different places. There's a certain glory that comes with closing a deal. It's not necessarily the money. I used to think it was early in my career, and I, I got into uh, a conversation with uh, people because it was like, oh, what are salespeople motivated by? People, oh, it's money. They're coin-operated. And that can be true to a point, but there's a certain glory in winning. If you've been in any sort of team sport or you've been in some you know, like silly competition with your friends and you win, it's euphoric. It might be fleeting. It might be a small thing. If you go out bowling with your friends and you win, whether or not people like had like a, a couple bucks on the game, just being silly, like there's, I don't know, the, the the feeling you get from winning, whether it's basketball or rugby or sales or whatever it is, it's unparalleled for me. It's kind of chasing that glory, trying to do things better than than other people. That's kind of my drive. The money has been has been okay. I've been able to enjoy certain things. So it's, so that part is cool, but it's a different way to interact with people. And that's kind of, you know, I've loved that even whether it was hamming it up at family reunions or working in retail. I just like talking with people. It took me a little bit to get over the idea that someone would never meet you and spend money on your product. That was a little bit of a, a mind shift. But yeah, sales is just, it's very rewarding. You meet so many great people within the sales community too. Our mutual friend, Dale Dupree and the Sales Rebellion. Without me getting into sales, I wouldn't know Dale. I wouldn't have met him. I wouldn't have talked to him in person. Now, like we get along like brothers. That's partly due to the great guy that he is. And Lori Richardson, someone who's basically a pioneer for the women in sales movement, if I was working at the hardware store, and this isn't a knock on people that, that do these things, but sales has opened up so many more relationships, so many more opportunities that just wouldn't have been there without like just networking and knowing people. It's just, I love it from that perspective. And I like being a people conduit, a people connector, sales affords me that. I can now expand my network on on LinkedIn and other social platforms. I can get to know more people. I can hopefully help more people. I just have a, a lot of fun along the way. What advice would you have for someone in high school, right? They just graduated and they sort of want to get to where you are. What would you say is like the best 
way to sort of go about like what's the first job they should get and how should they sort of leverage that? I won't say necessarily a specific job per se, but if they wanted to get into sales, something that I wasn't particularly good at in my career is looking a certain industry that you want to work in. I kind of fell into inside sales and tech and software. It's very interesting. And I mean, I don't have the the mind of an engineer. You know, there were reasons why I needed to have much smarter people than me on my demos with me to help explain things. But if you want to, say, get into a certain industry, if there's a company that you'd say, you know what, I really want to work for that company. It could be anything, any industry, any company that you find fascinating, figure out a way to get your foot in the door. It might not be with your dream company right away. Maybe it is. Maybe you get in as a SDR, or maybe you get in as a, What's an SDR? a sales development representatives. In sales, there are a ton of acronyms. There's so much alphabet soup. I mean, there's Business development reps, BDRs, sales development reps, SDRs, inside sales reps, ISRs, your AEs or your account executives. It's but so there's there's a lot of different acronyms and depending on the role and the function and what the company calls it, a lot of it's very similar, but it depends. Have a rough idea of what you think you might want to do, but also know that it's not concrete. You might find something much, much different. At one point, I was selling a mobile app for doctors and IT and operations people. It's like a virtual pager. Really cool technology. Really, really cool technology. I never would have thought about getting into like that kind of field, like selling to doctors. Like I was used to selling to some of the IT people, but like selling to doctors and selling, I was just, man, this is like, this is a game changer. I love it. So you have to also be open to the plan changing. Your plan doesn't have to be set in stone. Write things down in pencil because they're going to change. Have an idea of what you might want to do and get into it. You might get into a role. It doesn't seem like it's working out. Also, don't give up on it. Like if you try to be an SDR and it doesn't work out with a certain company, that's okay. You have that experience, but at the same time, like understand why that was. Were you not gelling with the manager were you asking for help and not getting it? Were you, did you believe in the product? So that's the other thing too. Whatever you do, if you're going to get into sales, work for companies that you're excited to be there and that you believe in. Because if you don't, it's going to show up. Sales is very much a transfer of emotion. So if you're just going to sit there and you're, and you're saying, oh, I want to make $100,000 and I can make 100 phone calls a day. That's easy. And you're going to come in. Hey, Jonah, this is Dan with Lead IQ and blah, 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 me, 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 me. And there's no emotion versus someone that comes in and says, hey, man, I saw what you guys are doing with prospecting and filling the funnel. That's awesome. I've got three ideas that can help you, blah, blah, blah. So be passionate about it. If you can't get excited about it, if you can't believe in it, then don't do it. Don't worry about landing dream jobs Get your foot in the door and then bust your ass. Follow people like Dale, like Lori, like all these other sales leaders. They There's a ton of them. I can connect with people on LinkedIn and always refer them to other resources, but there's so many people out there to learn from and they can help you along the way. There's so much information out there for the people that want to go out and learn. Just attack it head on, be yourself and 
don't worry about copying necessarily the most productive salesperson, what they're doing, because that works for them. It might not work for you. So be yourself, work hard, work smart, and always be learning. You mentioned how before you faced some issues where they would ask you, do you have a degree? Do you find that's changed? How is the landscape today if you're trying to get into sales and you don't have a degree, but you do have some experience? I think that it is much more relaxed. And I think you've even seen some headlines like Google and other tech companies are really relaxing their policies because they're understanding that the people they want to hire, the creatives, the people that can work just as hard as a person with a degree, maybe they don't have some technical background or they don't have certain certificates or whatever, that it's shifted and people are more open-minded to it. You're still going to see it. So for the longest time, I used to treat it as don't answer the unasked question. So if a recruiter reached out to me, and then when you get into tech sales, tons of recruiters reach out to you for all the wrong reasons too. They just want to try and put a square peg in a round hole sometimes. Just the recruiter, the degree, how would you sort of tackle that? Or you said you don't, you just don't bring it up. I would just not bring it up. I wouldn't ask. I wouldn't say, hey, is a degree required? Then as people would reach out, I would, that was actually the first question. I'd be like, hey, is a, is a degree required? Oh, yes, it is. Or no, it isn't. Or you'd figure it out. Knowing, like, don't let yourself get into a process. Because this actually happened to me. Someone reached out to me, says, hey, Dan, love your profile. Love your background. Come talk to us. I'm like, man, I want to go work for this company. This would be, this could be next level. This is, I started getting really excited. I went and I met with, the recruiter and three people. And we did a lunch meeting. We talked for an hour and a half. All right, guys, what are the next steps? Next steps, come back for a three hour panel interview, presentation, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, we'll make that happen. Okay, great. You know, do you guys have any reservations about what we've talked about? Nope. Awesome. I'm not hearing back from him. Not hearing back from him. Not hearing back from him. Man, this is weird. Finally get a hold of the recruiter, internal recruiter, I say, hey, what's going on? Like, I thought it was a really good meeting. Was it not? No, it was a really good meeting. Everyone loved you. Oh, okay. When am I coming in? Oh, no, we're not going to we're not gonna move forward with you. Man, I'm super confused. What just happened? Oh, well, we realized you don't have a degree. Oh, oh, my. Not even a, my bad. Not even a, and I'm sitting there going, are you effing kidding me? I came out of my day to, and you know that, like, I don't wear a shirt, tie, suit to the office. So, you know, I'm wearing a suit to the interview. So I have to like, I had to be like a Superman, change a clothes in a phone booth from my other job and like create this like story to get away for this job interview. And what the, like, what was that about? Start to understand the requirements. When people talk to you about jobs, understand the requirements and what's a, a hard stop, right? That's the thing. Hey, I see a degree is required. Is that an actual like showstopper? And they'd be like, oh yeah, it is. Like, oh, that's too bad. I'm sorry. Okay, take care. You save a lot of time. Know about the job. And that way too, when you know about the job, you can ask better questions during the interview process versus sitting there at the end of an interview. Oh, do you have any questions for me? Oh, no, no, this was, this was good. Thanks. Always have questions. Always have questions. Know what the requirements are. Know what's expected of you know how to, if it's a job that you take, know how to define good, know how to define better. Those are some things that I would, would recommend is, is it required? Ask. But a lot of places there, they're more relaxed. 
Don't let it stop you from reaching out to a company because it says, oh, degree is required. Reach out to the HR person or the person that posted a job. Hey, Steve. Hey, Mary. I saw this job opening. Man, what a fantastic opportunity. That's where the excitement comes in. Pump up their tires. Man, you guys are doing great stuff. I would love to be a part of the team. And I notice this little line item that says a degree is required. Is that an actual showstopper? And just the way you can orient the conversation might actually change the answer. They might tell a bunch of people, oh yeah, degree is required. But if you do it right, you might be able to break through the noise. So don't be afraid to ask and phrase it in a way that's, that puts you in a better light. Like set it up. It's not just a checklist question. Oh, hey, is the degree actually required? No, butter them up a little bit. Work it. Be excited about the potential. Be excited about their company. And then even if they come back and they say, yeah, it is, you say, oh, man, that stinks. All right. Hey, cool. Well, I'm just growing my network, but I'm going to share the job posting because I think that it's a really good opportunity. If things change, let me know. By the way, I'm going to send you a note to connect. If you connect with that person, maybe they know someone that's hiring that doesn't require a degree. Hiring managers, talent acquisition people, HR people, they probably know their peers in the space. Don't ever burn the bridge either. Not that you do with the process. If someone says, oh yeah, a degree is required, don't say, well, what, what the hell? Why? Don't question them on that. Their company came to this conclusion for a certain reason. And that decision is not going to change just because you come along and just accept it. And you can start to push back a little bit on it in a polite way. You could, Oh man, wow, that's crazy. Because I just noticed that companies like Google are becoming more relaxed on this policy. How come you guys aren't? You can ask those questions without sounding like a jerk. You know what I mean? So just get, so go after it. Don't be afraid to, to get out there and connect with people. And like I said, if that's one of the few things that you don't fill on the checklist, check off that box, still reach out and figure because it's not always a showstopper. I can guarantee you that it's not always a showstopper, even when it says it is. What's sort of your day to day or your week to week like at your current company, Lead IQ? Really interesting company. And so my day-to-day is basically I'm doing outreach to a lot of different people, a lot of salespeople, which is really cool. I get to work with salespeople. I get to work with sales managers. I just talked with a, a network connection. They're not even a customer of ours yet, but we went through kind of like a, a prospecting and social selling 101 and ideas to help them enable kind of research first prospecting and personalization so that they can get better email reply rates. In a nutshell, emails and getting them opened and getting them replied to, the statistics are kind of scary. It's not uncommon for people to see an open rate of 30 or 40, 50%, maybe 60%. And a reply rate for emails could be 3%, 5%, 7%, typically single digits. What we do is we have a, a Chrome extension that helps people as they're doing research on their customers and their prospects. We help them find some information, but where the real magic comes in is we help optimize their workflow so they're not doing any manual data entry. So you're not taking all of this uh, info and then manually punching it into Salesforce, manually punching it into HubSpot. You're not building a list by hand. So that's where we come in. And then we talk with people about how to really execute 
on doing the research first, mentioning the research that you've done, because that means you're 11 times more likely to get a response, and how to kind of shift their prospecting paradigm. We've had some really great results. A lot of our team members, I think the the worst guy statistically on the sales team has a reply rate of 18%, which is insane. We can give him a hard time about it because in a vacuum, his 18% compared to someone's, say, 32% is low, but 18% compared to 3% is mind-blowing. So that's really what we're doing is we're trying to help people understand how to elevate their game, how to prospect faster, smarter, and more effectively. So I'm on the phone, I'm on email, I'm on Zoom, and it's kind of always trying to find people that could be a good fit for our product based on their tech stack. I might see a job description that says, hey, we're using X, Y, and Z. Here's what our BDRs or SDRs, there's where those acronyms come back. Here's what our day-to-day looks like. Here's what we're looking to accomplish. I'd say, oh, wow, I think I can help them. And I even talk to them too. What's really cool is Lead IQ allows me to talk with them just as Frosty. Yes, I get to talk about Lead IQ too, but I can go over things with people that aren't even related to our Lead IQ tool. It's just super fun. So I get to really talk about sales in general. And then, yes, I get to talk a little bit about our product and what we do and what we can help. But there are also times I have conversations with people and I'll say, you know, based on what we've talked about, I don't think we're a great fit for you, which is, I mean, I never would have thought I would say that in sales 12 years ago, because I would think anyone and everyone's a customer. The the day-to-day is just very heavy on email, phone, social, networking, making connections and making things happen. Let's wrap this up. Uh, I really want to thank you for your time. So how would someone sort of get in contact with you or sort of follow you? Yeah, yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn if you go and punch in Dan Frost and even like Lead IQ. I should pop up my headline, Call Me Frosty. That's my nickname. So whether or not you want to, that's okay. I respond to lots of names, it turns out. <laughs> but I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Both of those handles are MY, the number six, C E S S. So my success, I thought I was, you know, I like be, yeah, it wasn't bad. I should have done something more along the lines of like to your success, because if the people around me are doing well, then. I'm doing well, helping others to to help yourself. Instagram, there's not a, a whole lot of business stuff there. Be honest, that's uh, pictures of the the little guy, Jordan. It's uh, pictures from basketball or whatever. But Twitter, I do like to I do like to use that platform quite a bit to consume some good content. It's also a really good source for some social selling stuff that I would be happy to discuss with anyone. But LinkedIn's uh, probably the the best way. Okay, cool. I really want to thank you for the time. Thank you to the listeners for hearing Dan's story. Like I said, he's open to you guys reaching out. Just don't send him a bad sales pitch because he'll be able to spot it right away. And if you guys think this show is worth a dollar or two, subscribe to us on Patreon and like and comment, share, leave reviews. Everything helps. Appreciate your time and have a good one. 
another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information is valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think this show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D. Last name, I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. Nodegree.com. Yeah. Talk to so, you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem, we can solve we them. We got this. LinkedIn insomnia. Keeps us evolving, growing in the knowing, wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree. No problem, any problem we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going.